Welcome to the Mummy and Mind podcast. We're all about promoting mental well-being for mothers and discussing different ways to build better relationships in the family. Please connect with us on our socials at Mummy and Mind. Tune in and we really hope you enjoy. Hey, it's your host Cami, and welcome to another episode of the Mummy and Mind podcast. We're now on episode four. So again, we want to give a massive shout out to all of our listeners and all of our supporters. If it is your first time tuning in, we really hope you enjoy today's show. Follow us on our socials at Mummy and Mind. And don't forget to listen back to previous episodes where we have some real open discussions with some amazing mums. Today's show is a big one. So I suggest you get your pen and paper and take some serious notes. We're joined by Mother of Two and co-founder of the award-winning natural hair care brand Afrocentrics. I'm really excited to introduce the guest for today's show, Rachel Coulson. Hey Rachel, thank you so much for joining us and agreeing to be our special guest for this episode. How are you? I'm good, thanks for having no, me. Kelly. Our pleasure. Um, you know what, I'm so excited to talk to you today because we haven't spoken to anyone so far that does run their own business and is really making a massive in- impact in, I'll say, the natural hair care industry and also just bringing awareness about having products out there that are safe for everyone to use really exciting to to hear your story on what it's like being an entrepreneur and being a mother and being a wife and we've got so many questions to ask you really yeah okay, sounds perfect. great um so if you can give us a bit about tell us a bit about your brand um what what made you start it or when it started so i started afrocentrics with a friend of mine at university joycelyn mate uh well she was joycelyn and Oyibo back then <laughs> And we met in our first year of university and we both had similar problems. So both of us suffered from traction alopecia. So kind of like balding, bald spots from wearing, you know, weaves, wigs from both of us relaxing our hair from the age of like three or four. Well, our mum's relaxing (laughs) our hair, not ourselves. You know what I mean? And because of that, uh, Joycelyn suffered from bald patches. So she was playing around with oils. She gave me something that she'd made. At that point, I had a weave and I had relaxed hair. She actually used to relax my hair. Uh, And the oil blend she gave me, I tried on my skin because I suffer from really bad eczema. And I wasn't allergic to it. So I got super excited because I'm allergic to everything. And I told her that she should start a business, that there'll be other people like us who have these problems. And, you know, her blend is really good. So she should turn it into a company. And she said, no, didn't come to university to start a business. (laughs) And almost 10 years later, here we are. <laughs> so um, so we kind of ended up, we hit the library, we researched, you know, different essential oils, different butters, different natural ingredients, and we looked at their properties. I mean, I was studying law, Joyce and was studying sociology. We hadn't even heard of cosmetic science or trichology. We didn't know the part that we would take. Uh, but today we are proud to run a company that employs uh, young black women and is actively changing the beauty industry because it doesn't work for us so at afrocentrics we formulate natural hair care products for afro and curly hair and we test those products on afro and curly hair before we release them to make sure that they really work we make sure everything is naturally formulated that everything is set and yeah my whole family loved them uh we're the first brand for afro hair to launch in whole foods uk in 2018 
and at the start of this year we became the first brand for afro hair in holland and barrett so wow. that was quite an exciting time thank you no do you know what? that's such a massive achievement and like you said because I- i've got natural hair i started my natural hair care journey two years ago I did the big chop oh, <laughs> prior Maybe. to that I had no knowledge whatsoever about hair products so since doing yeah. the big chop you know you when you go to these stores you really see a lot of products that say they're for natural hair but they're actually not mm-hmm. they're just, they just want your yep. money but the the ingredients that they use in there just aren't good it strips our, our hair of all of its nutrients and stuff like that so yeah. when you know when I see your brand and how far it's come over the years, it makes me so, so happy. Oh, thanks. So you started the brand, but you say from uni. I know that it's been trading for a while now. So I'm guessing from you becoming an entrepreneur, you then had, you had mm-hmm. your first child. How was that like for you as a, as a entrepreneur starting a business? And I'm guessing at the time it was a startup. Was that something that mm-hmm. was a uh, surprise to you? Or was it something that you knew this is, I wanted to have a child at this time, regardless of, where I was alive. <laughs> I'm laughing because I had a coil. <laughs> uh, so my little surprise blessing broke through. And everyone who knows this story and knows my daughter just says that the circumstances of her conception match her personality. <laughs> She's very much like me and my husband used to joke that this girl ate the coil and just decided I'm going to be born now. Here I am. Uh, so no, I had I had actively planned to not have children. Mm. When my daughter came along uh i think we'd just gotten married i just finished my master's i literally handed in my thesis started a new job at um at like a top university as a student business advisor and i thought you know what I, this is fantastic this is where i want to be like i've um you know i'm happy with my degree i got um i got a good grade in my master's like i'm starting a career i had a phd offer which i was thinking about and uh, <laughs> I was running the business, um, like kind of as a side hustle. So me and Joyson both had full-time jobs and we would like meet up at either my house or her house in the evenings, clean down our kitchens (laughs) and then start making products at home (laughs) to ship them out. It was like, it wasn't like a serious business at this point. So we had serious plans, but we thought, do you know what? Like looking at the US natural hair movement, it took like 20, 25 years for anyone to really get big. So you know, we, we'd only been going for a few years. We didn't take it too seriously. Uh, and then <laughs> 2015, everything kind of changed. Our website started blowing. And me and Joycelyn, no, 2014, our website got really, really busy. And we thought, you know, this is too much. Mm. Like, we were, I was, I was um, you know, getting, <laughs> getting the bus because I was broke <laughs> to Joycelyn's house in Hackney from Leytonstone, would you imagine? Uh, making these products, selling the products, and we were not taking a salary. We weren't taking a penny from the wow. company. Um, hence my brokenness. <laughs> we were reinvesting all the profits to formulate these products because we really cared about making sure that there were top quality products out there. Um, so I'd finished studying trichology, and then I was working a full time corporate job. wasn't really feeling it, so I quit the corporate job. Went and worked in education for a few years, which I loved, but I couldn't cope with the politics. And then just at the time when it was getting super busy, Joyson said, you know what, we can't do this. I'm quitting my job. I'm going to find a part-time job. So she did that. When she quit her job to get a part-time job, I quit my job to do a master's and I was tutoring um, to like, you know, bring in some side money. But I actually ended up like making a lot of money through tutoring. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe this is what I'll do. This could like fit around you know the uh, the time I was engaged so I thought you know we want to get married have kids in a couple of years so maybe I can shoot on the side yeah. um 
And then when I, when I found out I was pregnant, I'd just been offered this. No, I just started a job where I was working three days a week uh, advising students on their businesses. And the rest of my time, I was free to run Afrocentrics. And I had like the university resources at my disposal. So it was a great kind of position to be in. Then I found out that there was a little seahorse growing <laughs> in my belly. I literally, I had this emergency scan. There was this big drama over the coil. They were looking for the coil. Wow. And wow. then they're like, oh, you'll have to have an x-ray. We can't find it. You'll have to have an x-ray after delivery. And they turn the screen around and I see this little seahorse creature. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's how I found out I was pregnant. So was you mad. didn't go in to hospital because you thought you were pregnant. You went in to find the coil. No. No, and what's really funny, right? <laughs> so I'm a Christian, and um, <laughs> I'm just laughing because all the women at church were like, ooh, honeymoon baby. And I was like, no, not me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sick. I think I picked up some tropical sickness in Tobago. Like, hey, I'm not pregnant. And um, they all the, all the married women at church were saying, have you taken a pregnancy test? And I'm like, no, why would I take a pregnancy test when I have a coil? And I'm not pregnant and I'm not trying to be. And then I found out I was pregnant. So I was like, wow, I'm, I've been humbled. I have been humbled. <laughs> so, so what yeah. was that like for you? Because like you said, you, you weren't, it wasn't a planned pregnancy and you've had all these plans in place. What did that mm-hmm. do for you in terms of knowing what your future is now going to look like and the sacrifices you know you're now going to have to make? Yeah, so it's crazy because I suddenly didn't feel that young, but I also felt really, really super young. Um before I found out I was pregnant, I felt like, wow, I've got all these opportunities. I can take this path. I can take that path. Who knows what life is going to look like? And it was exciting. And then it's really strange, but I felt like, oh, gosh, everything is changing now. And I don't know how to be a mum. Mm. Um, and it was actually a really difficult time. So I um, I grew up in like a really kind of abusive, chaotic household and I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety after graduating from university Mm. and I look back and I'm like I was clearly a very depressed teenager but I was just like acting out I spent most of my teen years just drunk (laughs) and just distracted by nonsense um so I was like a very naive teenager and I was like involved in all sorts of madness before I became a Christian um towards the end of my law degree and in my in my wild times where I was kind of covering up whatever issues I had um I didn't I didn't think too much about mental health and it wasn't a conversation that we were having really, yeah you know like in, in the early 2000s I say yeah early 2000s mid 2000s even late 2000s um and then when like three different people in the same week from church had said you need to maybe speak to your doctor (laughs) try and get some therapy I started having therapy um after I graduated when I moved to London and I had kind of promised myself that I would go and revisit um just some difficult things around um around like kind of you know the the adults who raised me the adults in my life um that had been abusive and I thought I need to deal with this stuff before I become a parent so that I don't let certain destructive patterns continue and so that I don't allow yeah I just wanted to break cycles right I didn't want to see like trauma going from one generation to another generation um and I'd I'd literally been diagnosed with PTSD over my childhood and some some mad stuff that happened when I was a teenager so I was like oh gosh I I I can't be a mum and I 
everyone people talk a lot about postnatal depression but I had prenatal depression I spent most of that pregnancy depressed um I didn't know what I was gonna do even financially we weren't really set up for it like we just paid for a wedding um we were renting this tiny little flat it just it didn't make sense and then we ended up having to move house when I was pregnant because the landlord was a bit out of order there'd been a mold problem and they just painted oh, over wow. it. the mold started growing on our furniture mold was growing on my toothbrush wow I was just I had where'd you go from there electric toothbrush where'd you go from there right low point um so I did end up I, I did have a lot of therapy when I was pregnant which I highly recommend I think there's stigma in our community around therapy in general but definitely um for, for black women we don't really talk about therapy we feel like you know we have to be, the be strong. strong black women mm. and the the narrative of the strong black women I think is super destructive and I'm, I'm not a fan of it. um because yes we we are strong we've had to overcome a lot but there's nothing wrong with saying do you know what I need some help I'm going through some stuff so I'm really glad I was able to do that because by the time my daughter came I processed quite a lot I still think I need to have more therapy and I say this having like had about seven years of therapy and I just turned 30 so do the maths but um but yeah it was difficult it was an adjustment but yeah I'm glad my coil didn't work I'm, I'm I love being a mum I love my daughter too no, that's so good and, and my son as well who's come to join her <laughs> that's good to hear <laughs> I um I definitely didn't have a great pregnancy at all and you, you're right I think there's yeah. so much out there about postnatal depression but Yes, depression mm. can happen during your pregnancy. So my pregnancy mm. was not planned either. I'd just been promoted at work. I, you know, I'd had this five-year plan of what I wanted to, to be like by the time I was 25. And the moment mm. I found out I was pregnant, I was like, this is not what was on the cards. <laughs> this is not <laughs> what, this is not the plan. And so I felt like it was so hard for me to now reroute everything because I, I was really stubborn as well. I still wanted to achieve. I still had in my head what I wanted my 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 life to be like by the time I'm 30 and this is and this is now in the way and I just I, it took me a while to actually accept it yeah. and until you accept I it I think it's it causes such a battle in your head because you don't yes, enjoy your pregnancy because you actually start to resent the fact that you're now in this position and you now I look back I regret not enjoying that time I hear because pregnancy people make it look fun I mean mine was <laughs> awful because I was sick all the time and I was depressed so like I don't know why they call it morning sickness mine was like all day yeah. sickness. I, thought I, I did not know what that was I yeah it's so mine. after your daughter was born what 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 was the trigger that made you decide that you were now going to take the hair care business as a full-time responsibility were you working were you doing that working mum balance mm. thing where you run a business work and be a mum yeah. at the same time so this is kind of complicated. <laughs> um, what's mad and what most people don't know is I have only been full time on Afrocentrics since I returned from maternity leave with my son. Uh, and my son is one. Wow. So I haven't been full time on Afrocentrics for that long. Yeah. So as I mentioned, when we started off, me and Joyce Lynn were students and then we graduated and we both had full time jobs and did Afrocentrics on the side. Then we dropped down to part-time jobs and did Afrocentrics on the side. And then Joyson had a job. I was doing a master's um, and we did Afrocentrics on the side, including like during that mad journey. Like at one point I was studying trichology. Joyson did like a soap making course. We were just like getting our learning up basically and trying to grow the business. And then it wasn't until 
after my master's like we won some money from the university while I was a student and we thought okay do you know what we can invest in better equipment we can take this a bit more seriously and we said at some point we're gonna have to jump ship and go full-time on the business and then my business partner Joyce and her husband who's an accountant he got a promotion at work and they had a very like kind of frank conversation and said you know what um like we we all believe in the business um they're gonna take the risk she's gonna quit her job and go full-time and basically be funded by hubby so we had to appreciate that moment of privilege. <laughs> so Joyce was full-time and um we had an intern who uh, there was a university scheme where the university would pay an intern for you so I literally trained up this intern and then went on maternity leave and it was just Joyce Lynn and the intern for about three months and then in the fourth month I'm looking at these statutory maternity pay pennies yeah, and the numbers nothing. are not adding up. And I'm thinking of all that lovely tuition money that I used to make when I was a master's student. And I thought, do you know what? If I can be like, I, I was kind of doing mad numbers. I'd be um, charging like 70, 80 pounds an hour for tuition. Um, and I, I thought, do you know what? If, if you get those, you know, two, three hour jobs, that's like a day's pay in a couple of hours and I can still spend time with the kids. So I put myself, um, I put my tutoring profile online back up, um, got some bookings. And when my daughter was four months old, I went back to work. Um, so that was wild. But even though I went back to work, I was still, um, I was still a full-time mom, yeah. if that made sense. And I was also doing Afrocentrics because I was like, do you know what? Now that I'm working, I'm not allowed statutory maternity pay so I can work on the business again. Um, so I kind of had that going on. And then it got crazier because the tuition agency um, knew I was at home because I'd reduced my hours. They knew I was at home with my daughter. I'd done a lot of volunteering with them and they got in touch and said, hey, you know, we've got this foundation bit. We've got a job that would be perfect for someone who's at home and suddenly has time on their hands. And they called me into the office and I was like, yeah, I'm not getting childcare for a four month old. Um, I just, I just don't yeah. want to do that. Um, I, yeah, I'd been kind of slammed into childcare quite young as a, as a baby. Um, and I'd read a lot about attachment theory and I thought as far as I can, I want to keep my kids with me for as long as I'm able to do so. Um, because I, I've just read that that's best for them. So <laughs> So they had offered me this job. Literally, I've never had an interview like this. I had the job interview. At the end of the interview, they're like, so when can you start? Not in a, like, theoretical. They're like, yeah, yeah, you've got the job. <laughs> That's nice, blessing. <laughs> I was like, this is wild. Okay, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so I was tutoring, doing this job. Um, and the job was basically coordinating tutor volunteers in school, but also updating the website and sort of the S SEO, like search engine optimization. It was mad, but it was a blessing, right? I'd really, like, I, I literally prayed. I was like, God, do we need money? What do I do? And this popped into my lap. And then what's madder is then I got a call from my old boss at the university I used to work for. And he had started this new thing in GovTech, so like technology for governments. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? Come see my new office. So I went to see his office. And he's like, oh, I saw you on the BBC talking about business. Da, 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 da. We have this big chat about his like philosophy around business changing the world. And we'd kind of shared this philosophy. And then he offers me a job on the spot. And I the was overflow. like, uh, you know what? I've got it pretty good. Like at the moment, I'm at home with my daughter. I um, tutor for a few hours on a Saturday morning, a few evenings. And that's like 
that's way more money than my statutory maternity pay almost more money than I used to make in the university job and then um like obviously I'm I'm blogging at home but I was literally lying in bed breastfeeding and I'd do a blog for the um, website I was paid for and then I'd do a blog for the Afrocentrics website whilst my baby was sleeping and I was breastfeeding her in bed so um even though I was back at work with a young baby she was only four months they sleep a lot at that age at work so I said you know I don't really want to give that up and I I'm not comfortable um putting her in childcare at the moment and he's like oh just put a playpen in the corner and bring her in so I did (laughs) which was wild but (laughs) I was literally I had um three jobs four if you count tutoring so I was running Afrocentrics. That's crazy. Um, and, but I wasn't, was I being paid at this point? Yes, we'd put ourselves on payroll, but we were on like minimum wage. Um, like the hours I was working probably weren't even legal. So I was doing Afrocentrics. I was um, working for the um, tuition charity. I was working for the GovTech company. <laughs> that was mad because I'd literally go into the office. My daughter would be in the corner if she was napping in her playpen, usually strapped to me in a carrier um, or playing in the playpen. And I would be like helping to run this co-working space, but also updating their website, organizing events. It was just, it was crazy. Um, So that was job number three. Then I was tutoring as well, job number four. um, And I was a mum full time. So that was mad and exhausting, but I'm glad I did it because it showed me that you can be an employee who has your baby with you and it can work yeah so I was glad I had that experience um and then we raised investment for Afrocentrics within that mad time so I had all of these jobs going on um and then it got to the point where whenever it was going really well with Afrocentrics I would have less money because I wouldn't have time to tutor and I wouldn't have time to like um do as much of the contracting for the GovTech company so that meant that I would personally have less money but the company would have more and it just wasn't sustainable because uh, you know we just had a little baby my husband's a teacher we hadn't planned for it so me and my business partner just had a frank conversation we'd had investors approach us we'd had people try and buy Afrocentrics um, we'd had people try and buy the company but just use us as the face oh, wow because yeah that's very political <laughs> that's a conversation for another <laughs> podcast but yeah there's a lot of trust issues in our industry because there's so many toxic rubbishy products flooding it and there are people that just capitalize on the insecurities of black women, but don't actually care about us and don't even look like us. So what Joyce and I are doing is actually saying, you know, we don't want to be the face of the company, but we want people to know who's behind it and be able yeah. to trust us. And that's interesting to people. So that kind of kicked off this whole investment episode. And I don't know if you know this figures around investment for black No, for everyone listening, if you could just give us a bit of a breakdown. So a lot of money, like billions of pounds, um, go on venture capital, angel investment, and um, funding companies every year. Um, Most people think of this as private money, but actually quite a lot of taxpayer money goes into this, either through schemes like SEIS or EIS, um, like tax relief schemes for investors, or there's actual government pots of money that, are there to be invested into startups because it's good for yeah. the economy, right? Most of the boost that the economy gets is from small businesses, you know, SMEs, startups, sole traders, like we're the ones who are paying our taxes and boosting the economy. So um, uh, there's quite a bit of data around it because it is, you know, a an equality issue when you think, okay, taxpayer money, so black people are paying taxes, 
are they getting anything yeah. back for these taxes? And the answer is no. So you're um, going to shock me with the figures. Of the investment, <laughs> hey, of the investment that's raised every year, under three percent goes to black founders. Wow. And I'm talking a team where there's a black founder. So within that three percent, you've got all white teams with one black guy, and that would count. Guess how much for women? Black women. Oh, if you, I'm, I'm going to say one percent now. I wish it was one percent. Not point two percent. That is crazy. Not point two percent. Right. So that's that's kind of wild, anyway, in and of itself. Um. So me and Joyson are there trying to raise money, knowing that we're trying to be, <laughs> we're trying to go against the ninety-eight point eight percent trend and be part of the not point two percent, which is wild enough. Then I find out, and I've got a baby, right? I've got at this stage a one-year-old. Um. Or was she two? Uh, I think she was two when we started trying to raise investment. Then I find out that I am pregnant again. <laughs> I'm guessing it's on the plan either. My husband says he was planned because we were like, oh, should we have a baby? And then, like, you know, stopped using protection for like one night. <laughs> and the next day, I'm like, you know what? I don't think we should have a pregnant. Uh, uh, I don't think we should have a baby. Um, and then it was quite sad. My grandfather passed away. We were going to Ghana for the funeral. When I went to go get my malaria medicine, they're like, oh, how often is your period? And I'm like, oh, I'm breastfeeding. My period isn't back. And they're looking at my big two-year-old <laughs> child and they're looking at me and they're like, oh, your period isn't back. I'm like, yeah, it came back for like a month and it went away. And they're like, oh, can you go take a pregnancy test? I take a pregnancy test. I found out in the toilets in St. George's in Harrow <laughs> by the boots. <laughs> no, it wasn't boots. It was St. Anne's. Um, that's where I found out I was pregnant with baby number two. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> You're just going to have to suck it up and and carry on with the rest of the day as if you haven't found out some major news. Literally, days. it was like, OK, off to work now <laughs> with my baby in tow, off to a job number three. So I was I was working all these jobs. We were trying to raise investment. I had one baby in tow, another on the way. Um, and then I started wearing baggy clothes. <laughs> and I don't wear baggy clothes because I didn't want the investors to know I'm pregnant because they judge you and when people did find out I was pregnant they were like there were quite a few people who dropped out of the investment round because that's I was really shocking and there was even a woman literally even a woman said oh um we have a few reservations and one of them is that and pointed at my bump and that's come from a woman a woman right um so that was quite disappointing and it was difficult even um i mean the way we, this isn't a podcast about investments so i'm not going to go on too much about it but in the end we had set out to raise three hundred and fifty thousand pounds for the company and we raised over five hundred and fifty thousand pounds um we could have raised um more actually we turned down quite a bit of investment um so to be able to raise over half a million pounds as um two young black women massive achievement. um in my case, a, a pregnant young black woman with um, like mental health challenges and uh, a hidden disability. Um, I'd been diagnosed with dyspraxia um, during my, my master's, which explained so much when I read the report. But it, it felt like, wow, like this, this is only God because <laughs> everything was stacked against us. Uh, and it was quite, quite an incredible journey. So I was happy to be able to share that story to inspire other black women and since we raised investment, we have seen way more, you know, black businesses either coming to us for advice about raising investment or starting their business or doing something a different way. But we just were glad that we could hold out that example and show people it is possible. And I was particularly glad to be able to 
you know, in a high profile way, be able to raise investment whilst pregnant so that people can see that Definitely. it's possible. But I don't want people to feel like um, you should um, put compromise your health or your well-being or not rest. Like I always would say to people like, yeah, I pitched to like um, Ashton Kutcher and Gary Vee and Diddy and all these people. But before that baby came, I took a taxi there. <laughs> I was my, no, my husband drove me to the hospital for my check in because I was actually due on the day that I, I gave the pitch where quite a lot of our money came from to all these celebrity judges through this like business competition. Um, and it was my due date, but I kind of knew baby boy wasn't coming. <laughs> I was right. It was born on the Sunday and the pitch was on the Thursday. But Thursday night, my husband drove me to the hospital. My mucus plug had gone that morning. And <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Just wait, hold on. Don't <laughs> come out yet. Let, let, let the baby just give, give him a few more, few more days to cook. Um, so we'd gone to the hospital. They're like, don't worry. Mucus plug doesn't really mean that much. Um, because with my daughter, my water's broke yeah. first. Don't remember anything about mucus plug. And then I was in labor for like 38 hours. With my son, my mucus plug went and my waters didn't break until I was That's given exactly birth. That's exactly happened to me. So my right. mucus plug came and then really? 72 hours later, my waters wow. broke and my son came 10 minutes after my waters broke. But I was in oh. labor for three days, but active labor, labor for 10 to 15 minutes. And just those 10, 15 minutes wow. was the worst. <laughs> Oh, hey, yes. I've ever experienced of my life. But um, no, I know you're saying this podcast isn't an investment podcast, but I think this is why we definitely wanted you on as an entrepreneur. So you can spit these gems out to any mum listening that is trying to get investment, that is thinking that this, mm. the odds are stacked against them. And I think when yeah. you, as you mentioned as well, God always plays a massive part in this. Sometimes I feel like he does, he, he, he lets the world show us what we can't do so he can then come in and tell, yeah. well, this is what the world says, but I, I, I own Definitely. this world. I control everything. <laughs> just have a bit of faith, but it is so hard. <laughs> I agree. So, so right. now that um, you've, you've, got two, you've got two kids now and the company is doing really well, yeah. it's now in you know stores that mm-hmm. are well, well known, well recognised. What do you have any pressures on you now that you have a few people on your payroll that you, you are doing this full time mm. and you're also a mum? Do you, is there a sense of pressure that you have to succeed? Oh yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, fast forward. Now I finally have one job for once in my life. I've always had multiple jobs and it's exhausting. So now I'm just doing Afrocentrics. Um, I am working on other projects. Like I write sci-fi and I'm like kind of working on this like Christian business um book idea that I've had but they're like quiet you know just keep my mind ticking over yeah. kind of projects um so it's nice to have just one day job for me <laughs> and focus on the kids because this has never happened um but yeah there's a lot of pressure um my business partner is always telling me I need to take time off and that I'm definitely like a kind of chronic overworker and overachiever um like I take breaks I think breaks are important my kids definitely come first like I'll stop working to spend time with them but until the lockdown I was I had a bit of a mad schedule so I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old and I um like we're the business is full-time our office hours are 10 till 6 we've got eight people on payroll there's quite a lot to do right Um, We've got investors now who we have to, like, you know, give reports to, give updates. We've got targets and projections and people expecting us to hit those numbers. And there's a lot Mm. of pressure, especially because only when you're part of 0.2%, you don't want to fail. (laughs) You're thinking there's a lot riding on this, right? Um, 
so yeah pre-lockdown my typical day I would wake up um get the kids both kids ready walk my daughter to preschool with my son strapped to my chest in the carrier sometimes tied on my back (laughs) depending on my mood and then drop my daughter off to preschool for nine um and then I would either get on the tube or drive to the office to get into the office for 10 and stay until 2 at 2 p.m me and my son and I would take my son with me um so at 2 p.m me and my son would come back to um to the preschool which is luckily in my house we actually moved to be near this preschool honestly so we'd come back we were we we got her the place in faith and I was having the most awkward commute of life where I had to drive to the preschool find parking drop her off get on the train it was just mad and then like it all came through and we got the house we wanted but when they asked for our address we're like okay we live not that near but we're gonna move near and we're like praying for a house on this road and then it came up so that was great God's providence again but yeah so um so a drop of my daughter at nine um take my son into the office get there for 10 then leave the office at two to pick up my daughter for three <laughs> then I would depending on the weather either um go to the park or a play date or my house spend some time with the kids get them settled then set them up in activities and work from home till my husband got home around five not five five thirty six to get home it was mad it was definitely too much <laughs> So in a way, the lockdown has reduced the pressure because I don't have to do crazy running around and commuting. But I do have to entertain a very extroverted (laughs) three-year-old, a very energetic one-year-old. And, you know, we don't have a TV. So keeping them entertained all day without being able to, you know, push them on the swings, take them to soft play. (laughs) So so, so that is just tiring. And then there's there's a lot of pressure to do well. Lots of people don't really... People who don't know me just assume I must not do any work because I've got small kids. And I get people, especially men, (laughs) making comments all of the time um, about, oh, I don't know how you get any work done. Or, oh, okay, so you're like the acting founder. Are you serious Um, to me? People have said that to you. People are so rude. Um, But it's like, I just let my work speak for itself, right? So... (laughs) I know my output, my team knows my outputs, the customers know what I do. And I think that if someone has that much prejudice that they think that, you know, mums just lose their brains, which actually funny enough, you do lose some (laughs) brain cells you have, especially with boys. (laughs) They literally make brains. Tell me twice. Baby brain is real. (laughs) But in any case, like I think all mums are just incredible what we do raising these little humans it's a full-time like it's the only full-time job right anyone who says they're tired who isn't a mum and you can't I'm get quiet. fired i'm like when, well. you're, when you when you tried to give in your notice they won't let you <laughs> mate i've handed in my notice <laughs> they laugh <laughs> oh gosh but yeah it's it's a lot being a parent and and people that don't see how hard mums work and the fact that anything a mum is doing the amount of drive that she has to have to even bother to work whilst raising these kids which is a full-time job in and of itself I just think mum should be applauded for that so I just I don't rate people that say nonsense it it used to bother me and I think that I'd be lying if I said like it never bothers me but I just I've developed quite a thick skin like a lot of stuff I'm just like okay cool you do learn (laughs) so in your motherhood journey as well so for me when I um when I was younger I suffered with um eczema and then I think after the age of 10 Mm -hmm. it vanished no 13 I took a trip to Ghana and then after that never had eczema again 
And then after I had oh my, my son, um, my eczema flared up to the point where they, they even said that they mm. don't even think it's eczema, it could be psoriasis. I got it all over my hairline, on my elbows, on my chest. Wow. Um, wow. And it would flare up every time. Since having my son, it then flares up every time I'm stressed. And it, it can, I literally can wake mm. up one day and my whole chest is covered. And I know recently you've been posting quite a bit, you've been quite, posting quite a lot about your journey with eczema. And again, I know that you started Afrocentrics because of the whole allergy situation. Um, so can you, how has that impacted you in terms of not just being a mother, but as a woman, what, how much does that play on your mm-hmm. mind knowing that you have um, eczema and how does it, how does your day go with having yeah, that's well. yeah, that's a really good question. And um, yeah, sorry, you struggle with this too. Eczema is the worst. Like, I would not wish this kind of itchiness and discomfort on my worst enemy. It's, it's, it's awful. It's just really uncomfortable. And it's not that well understood. Uh, doctors only get, what, like a week of training mm. on skin, which is mad because your skin is the body's largest organ. It's the first you know first layer of defense in your immune system so it's really important that your skin operates well and your skin is so linked to your diet your mental health like if you're thinking about your like holistic health and well-being skin is crucial so when you've got eczema people will often think that it's just like a vanity thing the reason it bothers you is because it doesn't look nice and obviously I would prefer that my hands didn't look more wrinkly than my 90 year old grandmother's however I would happily take having you know reptilian hands over you know constantly cracking my skin I change a nappy and wash my hands my hands will be burning I will be like waking up in the middle of the night like just with just itchiness in my hands or pain in my hands um so it affects my sleep it's distracting because you've got this chronic pain just in the background everything you do and as if having two kids isn't enough you've got this pain which distracts you which means sometimes work takes longer, which means you're stressed, which makes you yes. <laughs> which distracts you, which means work takes longer. So it's like this horrible itch, scratch, chronic anxiety kind of cycle. And I think for a lot of people, stress is a major trigger. So given that we're going through a global pandemic at the moment, no one is not yeah. stressed right now, right? Like there's different degrees of it. Some people are more stressed than others. Like I'm an introvert and as I described, my life was kind of crazy with the runaround. It wasn't sustainable. And I'd been like praying about it. I'd been saying to my husband, you know what, something has to change. I might change which days I go in. I was already going into the office like only three days a week because I couldn't I couldn't live that way. Um but for so for me in many ways being on lockdown has alleviated a lot of stress but it caused so many other stresses um so it's just it's more difficult to like get foods that I'm not Mm. allergic to or to um to you know like uh like do exercise with the kids or just to like take a break and then on top of that every day I'm making like these major decisions with the company that could affect someone's health and well-being that could affect someone's life or could affect someone's livelihood and, you know, it's all quite yeah. stressful. Um, so I know I'm in a super privileged position to be able to be um, locked up at home with my family. I mean, I'm an introvert, so I think I would have been quite good with solitude. <laughs> um, but but obviously, like, I'm not, like, lonely at home. Like, I'm with others and mothers are definitely blessed in that we've got company. We've got wonderful, cute company. However, 
they take a lot of energy they take a lot of um a lot of work a lot of looking after and um if you've got a kid in nappies you've got to wash your hands a lot all of that leads to you know flare-ups with eczema you also don't have that much time to take care of yourselves when you that's got, what i was going to um, say because for me every time i get a flare up i don't as a mom i don't have time to do anything Mm. and this is not just about eczema it could be any issues that any parent has with skin i will go to the gp and all they do is sign me um a a tube of steroid cream which will last me um two months then it'll finish i'll get a flare up again i'll go again because i'm too busy so from your experience have you got any recommendations for any mums that suffer with any skin issues or just taking care of their skin and how they can go about it in the natural way rather than having to rely on steroid cream yeah yeah definitely so i would say that when it comes to any health condition um so i i've also had um diastasis diastasis recti where your abdominal muscles split in pregnancy um and that's been quite difficult um i've got like the eczema i've got as i said like mental health stuff um which i have um therapy for when i have um kind of relapses and with all of these different kind of health conditions they're all um, it's all about kind of managing the condition and I would say that you definitely need to put your health first otherwise it will start Mm. making decisions for you so if you don't take care of your eczema you could end up in hospital right Um, people get hospitalized with eczema with skin infections Um, I had a big dramatic thing where I didn't take care of a flare-up it got infected then I got uh, prescribed uh, I think it was amoxicillin for the infection Uh, turned out I developed an allergy to penicillin and had what I literally call my job experience like I was a reptile head to toe gray constantly shedding like the worst my skin has been in my life like the soles of my feet and the palms of my hands had eczema I've still got the eczema on my hands it hasn't even cleared up and this was like seven years ago I was, this is when I learned to play the guitar. No, I learned to play the ukulele, <laughs> then I learned the guitar. Because I had to do something with my hands to not scratch. I was sleeping with cotton gloves every night. Strangers were giving me cream. It was that bad. Like, I visited our sister church in Scandinavia. Um, so I go to the International Church of Christ, and we have, like, lots yeah. of kind of interconnected churches all around the world. I was visiting one of our churches, I think it was in Denmark, and one of the guys from church, went to Sweden on a train to go get me this like dead sea salt scrub and brought it to me at church. I didn't know him and it wasn't like anything. It was just, he felt bad for me. He was like, you're my sister in Christ, you're suffering. Um, But literally people, strangers were always giving me recommendations or trying to give me some cream. I just looked like a monster and it was awful. Um, And that that (laughs) experience should have taught me to put my health (laughs) first and take it seriously. And I wasn't even a mum at that point. But apparently I'm hard-headed and it takes me a while to learn things because it's only this year that I literally, I like declared this year, this is, this is my year of health. This is like my season of health. Um, I, when I finally saw a physio for my um, abdominal issue, she was like, oh, what took you so long to come here? She literally told me I need to stop lugging around heavy backpacks and always carrying my babies. Um, and I yeah. just need to jam. <laughs> and then the dermatologist was like, oh okay well you're a mum and you run a business that's stressful your eczema is going to be bad and I thought that is not good enough so I've been doing research and I'm learning how to cure it myself I'm like whipping up creams in my kitchen taking like salt baths Um, I'm using a lot of tea tree oil coconut oil shea butter and um, I'm doing this like um, paleo diet thing paleo regime 
which is quite restrictive but it's making a difference my skin is healing and I'm by force having to learn to put myself first I'd say a massive tip is get others on board so when I made the decision okay I'm going to take my health seriously and look after myself so I can give to others in my family and just others in general because you can't pour from an empty cup right same way I know I need to spend time reading my bible and praying every morning I need to start taking my health seriously right if I think my body is a temple of the lord why is it dilapidated (laughs) so um, the first thing I did is told some of my like really close friends told my husband told my business partner you know hold me accountable I'm gonna see a physio by this day I'm gonna see a dermatologist by this day and they did. Um, and it really prompted me and helped me because I just felt a bit embarrassed when they're like, oh, have you done it yet? And I'm like, um. <laughs> and I also was seeing an executive coach and I spoke to her about putting things in place. But I definitely recommend getting like therapy or coaching um, or just some kind of accountability, whether it's friends, yeah. whatever it is. Having people know that you want to fix your eczema or deal with your mental health challenges or whatever it is it will make a big difference and having others on the journey. So I've got other friends who have eczema and like, if I take a bath, cause you know what it's like as a mum, you never get to take a bath. But when I like ask my husband, you know, can you run me a bath and take mm. the kids? He'll do it. Right. So sometimes we, we don't even so ask hard. for I don't the know help why. we need. I feel like men are much better. It's crazy because <laughs> men are so good at taking care of their needs. Like I often think of Ephesians 5 where it says, no man hates his body, but rather he cares for it, clothes it and feeds it. And that's how he should look after his wife. Oh, I'm going that like down. It's only now in my like, fifth year of marriage. <laughs> Write it down. Ephesians 5 is the one. But I feel like it's only now that I'm understanding, oh, like God didn't need to tell men to look after themselves. He needs to tell them to look after their wives because they always think to look after <laughs> themselves. Whereas women were so yeah. quick to deal with everyone else's needs. And it sounds wonderful, right? Like, oh, we're so given and sacrificial. But no, it leads to bitterness and resentment, right? When I am not on top of my self-care, I might be doing stuff for my husband, but I'm like internally rolling my <laughs> eyes if not externally. Then I'm like, oh, now I have to repent. It's your fault. You made me sin. It's like I'm not responsible for my own sin, you know? And for real, I've learned that you have to recharge yourself. You have to actually look after yourself. It's not sin. God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And women are so quick to feel like we're selfish if we look after ourselves. But then I think the reason that Jesus came back and said, do you know what a new command I give you? Uh, How about you love your neighbor? Like love others as I have loved you. Is because we kind of love ourselves weirdly sometimes. Especially especially women. Sometimes we don't really love ourselves. We don't really look after ourselves. So I've almost had to twist it on its head and think, okay, I need to look after myself the way that I want my daughter to look after herself or the way that I would look after a friend. So I wouldn't, if my daughter's there itching and scratching and she's stressed, I'd run her a bath and I'd put some nice bath salts. I'd like make the bathroom nice, make it a special experience, put cream on her. I wouldn't be like, no, finish your work. It's so true. Finish what you're doing. Go look after your brother. Like we're so harsh with ourselves. We need to learn self-compassion sometimes and see ourselves as, you know, children of Jove, children of the most high who actually should be looked after, right? God cherishes us. He made us, he loves us, he wants us to be looked after. So now, like, I will have my 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 eczema buddies <laughs> send them pictures like, look, I took a salt bath. <laughs> look, I made this moisturizer. And they'll tell me what they're doing and we'll send our little progress pics of our scaly reptilian hands. And it's, it's beautiful. So <laughs> I think that we sometimes underestimate how much we need others. And I'm a massive introvert, but I really appreciate um, other people 
other people's support um and like wisdom and guidance in the motherhood journey in my like eczema healing journey in my mental health journey and everything i think um having others on the journey amazing information seriously thank you so much you shared so many gems when it comes to finance building the company and just balancing it all with, with motherhood and obviously giving us a bit of um tips about um skincare as well For like last words is there any sort of um advice you would give any mum that has an idea and they they they're either pregnant or have got a child and they just don't believe that they can execute it for it to become a brand yeah i would say just do some research and give it a go mm. like what have you got to lose <laughs> i think um i wouldn't say immediately go for everything because sometimes you research something and you realize that the best idea for you is a slightly different one than what you originally thought of or you might find something else. But I would say that if you are genuinely trying to solve a problem, either for yourself or for others, and you do your research, there's no reason why you shouldn't succeed, right? The resources are out there. You can find them. You can find people who have done similar and, um, you know, read about their journeys, learn about their journeys, listen to their podcasts. Um, and, you know, if you've digested the resources they put out there then reach out to them and tell them what you found helpful and ask them something that you can't google (laughs) and I would say that those those things will put you in good stead research I'd say is definitely the most important thing but once you've done that just have faith in yourself go for it what have you got to lose best worst case scenario you get a great story and a fantastic lesson and you can be proud of yourself that you tried something even if it didn't work out and best case scenario you might get to live your dream and make a huge amazing impact on someone else's seriously life. thank you so much for just sharing because you're an introvert so you know even giving given all this advice and um, <laughs> talking about your experiences with motherhood and also some of your um challenges you know it's been really helpful and i really hope anyone listening out there will take really good bits of this discussion we've had and um, in case anyone wants to connect with yourself or with um afrocentrics how would they contact you or get find information about the brand good question so afrocentrics is all over <laughs> the world of social media <laughs> so we're on instagram youtube twitter facebook linkedin and it's afrocentrics a-f-r-o-c-e-n-c-h-i-x afrocentrics uh you can find us online or just go on our website so afrocentrics.com uh we've just launched a website quiz like a hair quiz where you can answer a few questions and then find the perfect products for you and the perfect hair advice and blog posts to help you on your natural hair journey so those are the best places to go if you want to connect with me <laughs> i hang out on twitter <laughs> and my my handle is ray corson i-a-e-c-o-i-s-o-n um i would never bother emailing me because i'm at like i don't really believe in inbox zero but i've got like two thousand <laughs> emails in my inbox um, i've just gotten a pa to help out with this situation and she's great but uh, we're a tiny little team. We're very stretched. We've got, you know, uh, we're selling like tens and thousands of bottles That's of products and crazy. there's only eight of us. So it's quite a lot of work. It's mad. <laughs> Everyone on the team is stretched. So I'm very slow to reply. And I say that because sometimes people email me and send me like eight emails saying, oh, by the last email, they might be getting a bit testy and rude. And then by the time I read it, I'm like, if I'd just gotten the first one and I got into it in my own time, you might have gotten <laughs> like a helpful reply people are like oh I see you're too busy for me it's like dude no that's, that's good to know if anyone listening <laughs> obviously <laughs> the reason 
it's, do you know what though you know okay maybe it was a bit shady that i said consume people's information like read their stuff listen to their podcast before you reach out to them because if i had a penny for every time someone asked, said they want to pick my brain i gave them some time and then they asked me something that is literally like on my website or they <laughs> googled it or i did an interview that i'd like someone will tweet like maybe i'll tweet out an interview i've done and someone will reply on twitter saying oh i'd love to have 15 minutes and um i've gotten better with my boundaries but i i want to help everyone so yeah. my boundaries naturally suck um so i'll be like sure and I'll speak to them and they'll be asking me questions that are literally in the interview, in the tweet that they commented on to get in touch with me. And it's just, I find it, it's low-key disrespectful, you know, like when you just get in touch with someone to kind of waste their time. And it's a waste of your own time and that opportunity. Like there's certain people in the business world who I looked up to for ages. And when I finally got an opportunity to speak to them, you had better believe I had read their blogs I'd watched or listened to their interviews. I'd gone to their talks. So I knew enough that I could ask them useful questions. And some of those people have become trusted advisors because they've seen, oh, she's not a time waster. She does her research. They know I take them seriously. So they take me seriously. Whereas a lot of people, and it's not just young people, there's some older people, but people will come up to me after I speak at like a business seminar and say, I'll say, oh, I'm a big fan of the company. And then ask like a very basic question. And I think it's great you're having conversations with people. But generally, if you want time with a business person, it's because they're either successful already or they're on their way to success. In either case, that means that they're going to be really busy. In which case, like the whole reason you want to speak to them is because they are busy, right? And you want to be busy doing what they're doing. So the last thing you should do is waste your time or their time by asking a basic question. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, basically you're saying everyone should do their research before. Saying, do your research, please. <laughs> we don't have time. I have two babies to play with. So as much as I want to help people, I'm like, I'm doing, I, what I am doing is I'm an introvert and I don't really love this stuff. I oh, love talking you. to you, Canada, like your podcast. But I've been saying no really? to Really? I feel really honest. So this is, this is the first virtual one. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why my PA was like, um, are you sure? I was like, no. She's like, should I send over the price pack? I was like, no, no. Because I get like a lot of requests. Like every week there are requests. Um, so I kind of hide on my social media. That's why my Instagram is private. And I don't um, I don't generally read Well, on Mummy on Mine, we're really honest and one. And like oh. I said, you've given us so much advice and um, mo- motivated me as well. And anyone listening. So we're really, really thankful for everything that you shared with us today. And um, yeah, everyone that's listening, you have all the um, different ways to connect <laughs> and buy, buy from the band, support small businesses and definitely myself as a natural hair lover. <laughs> Anyone else listening, us also in the same boat, <laughs> let's support the business, support Rachel and her team. Um, and yeah, that's it really. Thank you so much, Rachel. <laughs>